Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming, and we have a very special guest today, Dr. Kelly Frindell. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I am a test prep expert. I help students get ready for standardized tests, and I have primarily two different groups of students that I work with. I work with high school students who are taking the SAT and the ACT for entrance into U.S. universities and colleges. And then I also work with younger students who are looking to go to private schools and boarding schools within the U.S. as well. Very cool. So um, I don't have a student that's doing any of those. Uh, but what what are the concerns that some parents come to you with? Like, what's is there a most popular concern that that happens? Mm-hmm. So right now, especially with the college test, there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going on right now in the college admissions landscape because when COVID started, pretty much overnight, all of the SAT and ACT tests got canceled because nothing was being held in person and they you couldn't take a test for six or seven months. And so at the time, most colleges and universities switched to what's called test optional, where you can choose whether you want to submit a score or not. Mm-hmm. Some of those changes were just for that first year. Some schools said, we're going to try a three-year experiment with this. And some of them just said, we're going test optional forever. And right now, we're getting towards the end of that three-year period where some of them said, we're going to experiment with it. And And there's a lot of confusion about whether students need to take tests or not. So I have a lot of students come to me or their parents and they say, oh, well, everything's test optional. We just don't have to do it. And there's quite a bit more nuance to it than that. And for a lot of students, they still really need to be taking tests. Some students don't necessarily, but a pretty good chunk of kids do need to do it. And so there, there is a lot of confusion about that and then about how to prepare how to choose a test, when to prepare. And um, th- those tend to be the big concerns that I see. Mm-hmm. So you help with uh, the student with the preparation for the tests, maybe mm-hmm. like memory kind of stuff or? Right, so there's really two parts to test prep. One part is uh, just straight up test strategies because each test does have its own specific strategies and skills that you need for them. But there's also just the basic skill work as well. And so when students come to me, we work on both of those things. We work on the specific strategies, but we're also making sure that they know all their math skills, that they know their math formulas, that they know how to use commas and verbs and uh, and nouns and things like that, which a lot of my students, especially in these last few years, because everybody missed so much school, there are significant gaps that I'm seeing 
in my students who are coming to me because they miss so much school and that it's just, it's not a blame thing or anybody's fault. It's just a reality of the situation is everybody missed a lot of things. And so some of it is catching up with things that got, that slipped through the cracks along the way. Yeah. It's interesting how there, I, I heard a lot of stories in both directions with, you know, some kids that were thriving at home Mm -hmm during the pandemic because they didn't have the distractions from their classmates and then other kids that were um, really struggling because they couldn't just sit in front of a computer all day and, and do the independent study that my son experienced, my son's 10. um, Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like, okay, here's the lesson now go work. And that some people don't do very well with that. Right. And, and the online learning can work very well. And that's what I do. I work with all my students virtually. Now I was all in person before the pandemic and have switched to doing virtually. And I do have parents come to me with those concerns. They say, oh, my kid had this terrible experience with Zoom school. We can't do online. It won't work. And the thing is, it does work, but you have to have the right tools. You have to have the right training. And all of the teachers got thrown into a situation they weren't expecting. And overnight, they were just expected to be a Zoom teacher. And that is an impossible task. And for most people, it didn't go well. And again, not anybody's fault. I don't want to place blame on anybody because everybody was put in an impossible situation. But when done correctly, online learning actually works very well uh, when you have the tools, when you have the training, and also when you're not doing it. I honestly, myself, couldn't have done Zoom school. When I think about sitting for seven and a half hours with 30 people in a meeting all day long, I couldn't have done it either. Mm -hmm. But with online tutoring, it's a totally different thing. I do all one-on-one. An hour with someone one-on-one is a whole different story than sitting for seven hours and trying to absorb something off a screen passively. It's a whole different experience. Yeah, I totally get that. I I used to love, actually, I got at least one new desk, if not two, um, (laughs) during the pandemic. I was, because actually I had a desk that I loved, and then the pandemic happened, and I was working from home with two monitors, and that desk did not support Mm -hmm. two monitors. And so I got a different desk, and I love my desk, but after having, you know, certain days of working eight hours, sitting, staring, sitting on the chair, like I've, I have two different chairs. I have my podcast <laughs> chair and then I have my comfy chair. <laughs> uh-huh. And the reality is that I, I try my hardest to only be sitting at the desk if I'm recording something or having a professional mm-hmm. call. And the rest of the time I'm, sitting in my comfy space, uh, partly because I'm pregnant and partly just because um, it feels like freedom (laughs) to go and sit on the couch. (laughs) Right. And, And a lot of people just didn't have the right tools or the right setup to be successful during those years. And you always need, you need the right tool for the right job. And um, being thrown into Zoom school with no warning was was neither of those things Um, but with with the right support it can work very well and I I really did feel you know I always I always was very um, appreciative of teachers my everyone in my family is a teacher Mm -hmm. and I see how hard they work you know during school and after after the afterwards and um, my 
uh, my mom and my stepmom had both retired by the time um, the pandemic happened and Zoom school started. And I asked them both, I was like, so how would you have felt being thrust into Zoom school? And they're like, oh, I would have retired. (laughs) And I, I resisted going online for a long time because I was in person for probably 17 years pre pandemic and I didn't want to do it. I just said, no, this sounds horrible. And I was scared of it. And right before the pandemic, I actually decided to take my business online because I wanted to travel. And I figured it'd take me three to five years to get out of my office, get online, get parents and the kids to be able to accept it. And it took three months in a pandemic and I was online. And then once I figured out how to make it work, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have been afraid of this. This isn't scary. And in fact, there are a lot of really good things about it, uh, especially because kids are so busy. It is just so easy to log on. You're at home, you're having your snack, and now you're doing math tutoring or SAT tutoring. And then you log off and you're on to the next thing and nobody's sitting in traffic and Mm -hmm. it, it, it saves a lot of time and hassle. Yeah. And I really love um, paper calendars, mm-hmm. but the the pandemic has ruined that for me because <laughs> of, you know, Zoom meetings and everything mm-hmm. like time zones. I, the, and time zones. And like, I need the reminder, like I'll have a one minute reminder for mm-hmm. whatever meeting I'm about to attend because it takes one minute to go from wherever I'm in the house to <laughs> in front of a computer. Um and it, it just, it makes it impossible to have a paper calendar. <laughs> same, same. Oh, it makes me so sad because I love them so much. I, I loved my paper tough. calendar too. And I know a lot of the students don't use them. And I always tried to get them to use them pre-internet and pre-COVID days. And they just wouldn't. And there are a lot of, I, I do like finding online tools that are useful that can replicate it. And that online calendar and I mean excuse me the paper calendar and and there are some good digital tools out there for sure I I and I can't quite get used to the the digital calendar that that you can write on with your tablet like I've tried two or three different ones and it's like it's either google calendar or it's nothing mm-hmm. like I just can't do it <laughs> I try really hard <laughs> So um, that's that's pretty cool that you were already in the mindset of I'm going to go online and you had the plan of three to five years. I had the plan. And here, here's and your presence of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> present, yeah. And it did, it did speed things up. And when I had planned to go online, I do work with younger students. I work with fifth and eighth graders who are taking the entrance exams for private schools. And it had not been my intention at that time to take the younger kids online because I just didn't think it would work. And then now it turns out my fourth graders and my fifth graders know how to annotate. They know how to screenshot. They can send me things. They know how to write on the screen. And they, they're all pretty well versed in Zoom and better than a lot of my adults students in fact and that has actually worked out fine as well it's it's fun for for me with my son because he's 10 so he's in fifth grade and um he's you know he got I think he got a little maybe a little bit behind doing some of the online stuff um just because it was that whole I can't sit for seven hours Mm -hmm. and pay attention um and and really absorb all the information so he got by the end of the school year he was really bored and not focusing as much um but being in in person again 
um, with a teacher that he really loves. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now back caught up and teaching other kids. So I guess the, the math facts that they have to know, mm-hmm. once you've mastered them, they let you stop taking the test. And so he mastered his and, and he's now teaching other kids um, and helping them with their math facts which I think is kind of cool yeah and that's something that I'm seeing a lot of there's been a lot of slippage with math facts and I had already been seeing that prior to the pandemic I've been teaching Mm -hmm. test prep for about 22 years and probably within about the last five to seven years I have seen a significant decline in my students knowing their math facts so my fifth graders don't know their times tables they don't know their division Mm -hmm. facts they're not able to add and subtract quickly in their head and so I had already started putting some of that back into my curriculum, my test prep curriculum, but Mm -hmm. especially now I really, my younger students and my older students now too, they really don't have those facts down. And it is very difficult to do math. It's difficult to take tests. It's difficult to function in life if you don't have those basic facts. And it's sometimes the kids or the parents will say to me, oh, but they'll always have a calculator or they have their phone or they have this. And a lot of times you do, but on, especially the tests for the younger kids, you can't use a calculator on them. And on the SAT, there is a no calculator section where you mm-hmm. there's one section you can use calculator one you can't and it's difficult to do anything you can't do percents you can't do decimals or fractions or long division if you don't know your multiplication tables yeah. do you think that that's because of the the new math that they're the way that they're teaching it I think so. I know um, until the pandemic, I was based locally in Texas, and I know some of the schools near me had started teaching some new math curriculum, and they had stopped emphasizing multiplication, and they had stopped emphasizing long division, and they weren't teaching it, in fact. And so I was having a lot of students come to me not knowing those facts, mm-hmm. and they, at that at some of those schools, they were teaching, in particular, these new methods of math, which truthfully drive me a little crazy. And I typically teach that I say, here's how you do multiplication, and this is how you will do it anywhere else that you go to school. And when they learn the methods, which are the methods probably all of us learned, they go, oh, this is really easy. I, say, I know, <laughs> that's why everybody learned it this way. So mm-hmm. some of it has to do with that. And some schools just have de-emphasized that rote learning with the idea that you don't need it. And I, I understand the argument about that, but you need it, you need it to be able to function and do math and especially for life and for tests too. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I know that, you know, they're, they, as a trend, they're kind of diverging away from like art and music and Mm -hmm. like getting away from the arts. But I never thought that I would hear anybody say that math is not important. And (laughs) it's not that it's not important. It's just there's been a de-emphasis of the rote learning of it Mm -hmm. and the rote facts that you know, six times eight, that you know what 56 divided by seven is. And I, I have just seen it really hurts kids not to, to know those facts. It makes things a lot more difficult. And I think I remember, you know, I learned them at at some point and then I think I forgot, you know, some of, some Mm -hmm. of the like sevens and eights. Yes. And that's really multiplications of sevens and eights, uh, maybe even the six, uh, nine, I had five, four, three, two, one, were all really good. Um, uh, uh, 12 was hard for me, Uh Uh, but now having a 10 year old, I got, I got (laughs) much, much better. Um, and I even kind of learned some of the new math and I understood like, you know, some of it. Um, I do remember the moment that he, uh, 
caught on to fractions um <laughs> and it was like until he caught it it was really frustrating for him because he wanted the whole pie like mm-hmm. you know if you have one fourth and he I don't know why he was thinking that it was one that it was um two thirds left or something there was some weird hiccup in his brain um and then he got it and it just was like boosted his confidence a lot Mm -hmm. which I found interesting because I'm interested in stuff like that (laughs) yes and that's what I find a lot of test prep is just boosting people's confidence because I have a lot of students come to me who say oh I'm bad at math I can't do math I I just can't and they have struggled historically in math and sometimes a lot of times it's not that they're bad in math it's that they missed some basic skills along the way and then were never really able to pick back up from there. And if you do miss the basics, it makes all of the rest of math hard. And I know this from personal experience because I was really good at math when I was young and we moved when I was in sixth grade and it was the beginning of middle school and I got there too late for them to put me in the advanced math class. So what they did is they put me out in the hallway with an eighth grade textbook, which was algebra one. And I hadn't taken pre-algebra yet. I was in just starting sixth grade. And they said, here, teach this to yourself. And I spent an entire year sitting in the hallway teaching myself algebra one incorrectly. And I, I didn't learn it correctly because I was 11 or 12 and didn't know what I was doing. And it messed me up for the rest of math for all of middle school and all of high school. And I, I really thought I was bad at math. And when I started teaching test prep in my early twenties, I had to relearn all of the math curriculum and I was taught some different ways to do it. And once I had that basic foundation, I realized, oh, I'm not bad at math. I just was missing some things. And mm-hmm. once I could look at it kind of from top down, mm-hmm. instead of being in the middle of it, I could see, oh, this relates to this and this and this, and this is why. And now I actually really love teaching math because I understand why students have a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that people who are really, really smart at math often have a hard time teaching it because they just don't understand. It's everything is so logical and so intuitive to them. And when they sit with the kid or who doesn't understand something like, well, why can't you just see that it's this? And I know why they can't see that because I had that same problem when I was a kid. And so a lot of it is just really filling in the gaps and building up people's confidence with it because most, there are people who do have, you know, learning differences with math and that's definitely true. And, but most of everybody else, it's just, they're missing some skills. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely true. I think that you know, I, I took to math like a duck in water. I'm one of those rare people that, um, it was, they, at least what I had heard is you're either a math person or an English person. And I really enjoyed both. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a good writer. I'm not great at the grammatical rules. Um, but I love writing, but I really took to math, um, a lot as well. So when I'm trying teach my son something that I learned 30 years earlier it's and it came easy I'm I Mm -hmm. really struggled with with the piece that you're talking about so um that's 100 I get that (laughs) and there there is a myth that you're either good at math or you're good at English and verbal and that honestly is not true too it's true for a Mm -hmm. lot of people but for me like my verbal skills are very high I'm very good at vocabulary I'm a very good writer and with the math since I've gone back and relearned it I'm very good at math too but I am terrible at art if you want me to draw you a picture it will look like a five-year-old because (laughs) I just 
don't have those skills and I probably will never have those skills. And so the people really do have all kinds of varying abilities. And so half of what I do too, is just busting up people's myths about I'm good at this. I'm bad at this. If it, this means this about me, or if I'm bad at math, it means that I'm not a good person or I don't have a good future. And none of that is true. Yeah. I'd love to go through and, and destroy those kinds of of myths and, and Mm -hmm. like a myth buster, but for the thought process, that's a good idea. (laughs) Um, yeah. Cause I, I would, while you're talking, I'm like thinking, man, I'm really bad at taking tests and I don't think that I'm bad at taking tests. I just get extremely bored while taking Mm -hmm. a test because I'm also an auditory learner. So sitting there and reading each question gets boring and so then I'm like okay I'm over this and I just start filling stuff in (laughs) yes and that's something I also talk with my students a lot about is what these tests mean because they get very caught up in thinking SAT or ACT is an IQ test or it says how smart they are or if they're going to succeed in life and they aren't IQ tests and they aren't even aptitude tests. This, the SAT used to be called the scholastic aptitude test and they had to stop calling it that because it isn't. And mm-hmm. so now SAT officially stands for nothing. It was just SAT. And so all it really measures is how somebody did on a particular test on a particular day. And that's it. That That is all it says about a student. It's a particular set of skills that somebody decided was important, but it isn't necessarily, those skills are not necessarily more important or less important than other skills. And that's something that took me a long time to understand is that inherently it doesn't make you a more valuable person because you're good at math versus being good at art or being good at music or being good at business or sports. They're all skilled. Everybody has a talent of something. And just because somebody has said, oh, this one skill is important. It doesn't mean you're a better or worse person if you're good or bad at those things. Yeah. And I, I love that, um, you know, that they've started, I've started hearing teachers saying, um, or one of my son's teachers said that, that the test is not to prove what, you know, it's to show me where I need to teach more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes. And for classroom tests, that's, there is definitely an element of that. And Mm -hmm. I've taught classes at the college level and I do find the same thing for those ones is in part, a lot of it was feedback for me is, am I doing a good job of teaching? And with the standardized tests, it's a little bit different because they're used for different purposes, but there is some element of that too, of just what do you know and what don't you know? And something I've found in these last few years with COVID is sometimes people are reluctant to do test prep or they're very disparaging about it because they're like, oh, it's just teaching to the test and that doesn't have anything to do with real life. And there are definitely strategies for different tests that are test specific, but the rest of it is skill-based. It's, Mm -hmm. do you know your math skills? Do you know how to use grammar correctly? Can you read and understand? And those are skills you need anyway. And Mm -hmm. so separate from the test part of it and what happens with those test scores, the skills that we're working on are things that students need and have missed in large part over the last few years. Yeah. I'm sure that we're going to start seeing the effects of the pandemic over the next decade or so on, on the kids. You know, we, we saw, I think we saw an immediate effect on adults and now it's kind of, we're in the next 10 years, we're going to see, 
Somewhere. And some of those results are starting to come out. I just saw an article recently that said, I believe the math and reading gains have dropped significantly in the last year or two. And um, that we are going to see continued effects from that for sure. Yeah. I think my son was a little bit hard on himself because he, you know, took an assessment test at the beginning of the school year and it was mm -hmm. comparing to how he tested at the end of <clears throat> fourth grade. And he, I think he dropped in either English or math. I don't, or reading or math. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I was like, well, do you believe that you're smart or do you believe that you're not? He said, I believe I'm smart. And I said, great. So do you think that you're going to gain that information back? Or do you think that it's lost forever? He said, no, I think I'll get it back. I was like, okay, great. So we mm -hmm. just know that this yeah, is where you are information. now. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And I, you know, there's so much emphasis, at least in the past on, you got to get a good grade, you got to improve, mm -hmm. you got to, right. like, that it's just, it's damaging to the self-esteem when we don't have those kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I had a similar realization a couple of years ago. I was talking to a parent whose child, and this was pre-COVID, mm -hmm. I think she was in seventh grade. She had taken a benchmark test. She was at a private school and most of her scores were 80th, 90th percentile. And this, the, the percentiles were comparing just students in private schools. And her math was a little bit lower. It was around 68th or 69th percentile. And the mom was worried about it. And we talked about it and I said, well, how is she doing in her math class? She was doing fine. She was in honors math. I said, does she know what she's doing? Is she struggling? No. Can she function with math in her real life? Yes. And, and she was so, the mom was so worried about this score. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, she's in the top third of all private school students. And when you compare against all students in the US, she was still pretty high and she was functioning fine in her math class. It wasn't an exam to get her into a school or anything like that. And I just realized I'm not sure there's a reason to be worried so much about this because the point of school is to learn things so you can function and be an adult. And if she's functioning and doing fine, who cares what, what this number is? Because all it tells us is, okay, she's in the top third of everybody who's doing this stuff. Fine. And that, that was a really different shift for me as well to, to realize that, okay, it's fine. She can function. And that's, to me is the point of school is to be able to function, to do well, and to do the things you want to do in life and the way you want to do them. And she was doing those things. So yeah. who cares what this number says? Right. And we, I think we lose sight of that. We look at the, the number and it's not as high as this number and mm -hmm. you know, something must be wrong. <laughs> right. And some, and, and sometimes there is, and sometimes that is information you get from test scores is there is something going on and it's worth investigating and it's worth intervening, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. I was very um, fascinated by um, my son's ability to spell <laughs> because I'm a horrible speller. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, I, at one point I said to him, okay, let's, we're going to practice your spelling words. And then if you um, so we were practicing the spelling words every, you know, Thursday night before the mm -hmm. test on Friday. And then one Thursday night we didn't, I said, okay, well, we'll see if you get a hundred percent on this test too, then we don't need to practice until you get less than a hundred percent. And he's still getting a hundred percent practicing. And 
I told him, I don't think I ever got a hundred percent on any spelling test mm-hmm. ever. And I have no idea why. And uh, well, I think because I, I never practiced spelling words. I never practiced it. We got, we were taught it on Monday and then we tested mm-hmm. on Friday. I don't think there was any like practice, practice in between. <laughs> Yep. And it's just like times tables. The way you learn them is to practice them. And once they're in there, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the stick in there. Uh, but it is just practice with those. But I just too. got, I got labeled as a bad speller. And so mm-hmm. I never tried to break out of that label because I was, I was a bad speller. So, you know, and now it's like bad spellers of the world untied. Uh, you know? <laughs> it's my favorite shirt ever. Um, so is there a piece of advice that you want to share with moms? I would say that um, with these tests, these standardized tests, and this is true for entrance exams and also just the state tests and things, is, is to put them in perspective about what they mean and what they don't mean and to help your kid really know, okay, this isn't a measure of your self-worth or your future and it's not a fortune teller or anything like that. It's just information. And that if your kids are taking tests, especially like SAT or ACT, to put the time into it because you can see improvement on them and there are ways to um to get better at them and even if you think you're bad at something it usually isn't true necessarily and there are ways to work even if you are genuinely bad at something like art people i have people tell me oh you could learn how to draw and i'm pretty sure i have fundamentally missing something that means I will never be good at art. Um, But most academic stuff, there are ways to at least work around your weaknesses if you generally have some or just to straight up improve. Um, So that would be my advice. Awesome. And then um, is there a book that has been instrumental in your uh, personal development journey? Yes. So I read, and this one has nothing to do with test prep, but I read a book in my early twenties. It was called the dance of the dissident daughter. And, um, I just knew the author's name. Sumant Kid is the author. And she, at the time she wrote it, she was a, a strong Christian author. And at the time she started realizing some of her beliefs, her internal beliefs weren't matching up with what she had learned and what she, she was a pastor's wife. And she'd been very involved in religion. And she suddenly started realizing her beliefs were somewhat different. And it's all about her exploration of realizing how she wanted to live her life, what she wanted to believe, what she did believe, what she didn't believe. And that book was really important for me because it was the first time I realized, and and I did read it around 21 or 22, that I did realize, oh, I don't actually have to just accept the beliefs that were given to me from my family and from society, and that I myself really do get to choose what I want to do and how I want to live my life and what I want to believe. And religion-wise, but also just general life too about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to live and I I read it every few years I really like it that's so cool what a what a a cool gift that you received and gave to yourself at the same time you know like that you can it took me many years I was in my well into my 30s before I had that same kind of thought like I get to choose what I believe Mm -hmm. not just about religion and and but also about, you know, the, I talk a lot about my limiting beliefs. I don't have to 
I don't have to believe those. <laughs> yeah. And that when I, I went to graduate school right after college, I went to school to be a psychology professor and had spent years planning for this and got into school. And the second day of school, I remember sitting in class and I just had this sudden realization. I thought, this is a mistake. I, I made the wrong decision. This isn't right. And I had no framework for knowing that I could change my mind, that I could back out of it, that I could make a different decision because I'd always just known that once you decide to do something, you do it till completion. And I stuck it out for three years and it was torture because it was wrong and it was wrong for me. And I didn't know I could just walk away. And that book helped a lot with that of starting to realize, oh, I can just choose something else. And I honestly didn't know I could do that. Yeah. The, one of the myth busters I'd like to bust is that quitters never win and winners, winners never quit because the most successful people are master quitters. They know what is not serving. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's something yeah. I talk with my students a lot about too, especially my high school kids, because they're so stressed about finding the most perfect college. And they really think there's only one place that they can be happy. And generally that's not true. You can be happy at a whole lot of schools for a whole lot of different reasons. But even if you do get to a school and it is the wrong thing, all you do is you find a different school and you transfer and then you go be happy. And nobody's ever told them that either, that you have options and you do. And so what feels it is college is a very important decision. I'm not downplaying that, but it also isn't permanent either. You, you can change your mind. You can move, you can do something different. You can choose to wait a year. You can choose not to go to college. There's all kinds of ways to live life. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of 2022, I was, enrolled in um a psychology degree and i took the first class which decide like if you that class determines whether you can go through the psychology mm -hmm. program and the whole time i was feeling like this is i don't i don't know you know i wasn't feeling very settled about the decision and so i said okay well if i get an a then i think that i'm it's it's the right choice and we'll we'll move forward if i get a b which b is as low as you can get and right. still be in the in the uh, program then you know we need to rethink some things and i think i got like an 89 <laughs> percent and i was like okay it is what it is and honestly hindsight looking back at at the year that i've had is a really good decision to that I made to to not do it right now and I'm not saying I'm not going to do it forever um but it's it was a really good time to not uh take that course so I let the universe decide <laughs> so where can our listeners find you so my website is um, inhousetestprep.com. It's www.inhouse, I-N-H-O-U-S-E, testprep, it's all one word, .com. And I have some parent guides on my website for both the SAT and ACT, and then also for the SSAT and IC, which are the tests for private schools and boarding schools. And those guides are available free to download. And there's also a link on my website to schedule a free call if anybody's interested in talking further about uh, well, thank you so much for coming and giving me a, a visual into my future because <laughs> I never took the SATs either. <laughs> so, Not at all. It wasn't, you know, I was going to go to a community college. I wasn't interested. I had mm -hmm. no idea, you know, what I wanted to do career wise. It had changed multiple times. 
my senior year. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was convinced I was going to be a teacher from uh-huh. birth and I took a, a, a prep course for teaching. I think it might've even had college credits. I got through the first semester and I was like, this is not for me. Not and I understand college. now why, mm-hmm. what triggered that thought. Um, but it's, I, I changed, I decided I wanted to be a sign language interpreter and I did that for a little while. And then, um, anyway, I won't go through my whole job career, (laughs) but you Uh, eventually ended up at somewhere that was good for you. And same for me. I, I thought I was going to be a professor and I'm not, but I love what I do and I love where I ended up. And I never could have predicted this is what I would do as an adult. And I try to pass that along to kids, whatever you think you're going to do at 16 or 17, it's probably going to be something else. Yeah. I mean, it would be kind of cool if my son was an astronaut um, or, or I an did want to be an astronaut uh-huh, yeah. when I was eight. <laughs> yeah, he wanted, he's, he, we're going to send him to space camp. So, you know, that might solidify it for him. I don't know. <laughs> but he also wanted, he's really good at building things. So he might want to, he's still talks about being an architect, but you're right. It's like the, the world is your oyster. If you think of it that way, like you can mm-hmm. choose a million different things so yeah yeah it's pretty exciting yeah well again thank you so much for being here and and um enlightening me and our listeners about uh what it is that you do and and um yeah i appreciate you being here thanks i appreciate it too absolutely so we'll have another episode of imperfect momming uh for you next week and until then keep healing bye guys Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Mommying. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A-L-Y-O-N-S dot com. See you next time.